And um, as some of you may know me, most of you may know me, I grew up in this church. My name's Ryan Baker, and I've actually been the intern here since like June or so. And we never really, really able to formally introduce me, so now you know you have an intern. But <laughs> it's pretty much over, so uh, just till like the end of August or so. Um, but uh, I've grown up here most of my life, really, from what I remember, I've been here. Uh, I went to Sunday school in these rooms and um, went to youth group in the, well, when we had the West Wing. Um, so really to be able to be here and to speak to you guys today is really an honor and a privilege. And so before we dig in, I just want to open this up in a word of prayer and then we'll uh, see what the Lord has for us today. So let's pray. Dear God, I just want to thank you so much for this awesome privilege we have to come together and to worship and sing a perfect, holy, and just God, and to give you praise. And Lord, we know that we are not like that on our own, Lord, that we are sinful people who are in need of a Savior. And of course, uh, through what Jesus did on the cross, and what is uh, testified in your word, Lord, that he died for our sins. And we are so thankful for that. And so God, I just pray as we look into your word, Lord, we will be able to see your grace, your mercy, your love, and uh, Lord, how we can apply that to our lives, and that you will just change us, Lord, and make us more like your son. And so just give me the words to say, may you be magnified, Lord. And it's in your son's name we pray, amen. So uh, what I'm going to be speaking on today is a passage I came across at when I went to the Word of Life Bible Institute for... Um, I went there for two years, and I came across this passage when I was uh, in first year, and really it's been such a powerful and impactful verse, a passage in my life. And uh, when I was given this opportunity, my dad said, you know, if you had something that you wanted to present to your church, something that's changed you, what, what would you want to say to them? And so really, because this has made such a powerful impact in my life, I want to be able to give to you what... God has shown me. And so we're going to be looking at Philippians 3. So go ahead and take your Bibles and open up there. Philippians 3. And so before we get into Philippians 3, of course, we need to take a look at the context and see what it, you know, who's writing it, what does it mean, kind of where we're at. So the writer of this uh, epistle would be Paul the Apostle. And uh, actually he's writing this from one of, uh, one of the prisons that he was in. He had two imprisonments. And uh, so it's when he's first in prison. And uh, so really he's writing this, um, this epistle to the Philippian church. And the Philippian church is a great church. Uh, you can tell if you look at the whole epistle that Paul truly loves them. And uh, that they've been really gracious to him as well, sending him gifts, even when he's been in prison. And uh, if you look at Philippians 2, Epaphroditus is a man who came to him. He actually got so sick in helping and serving Paul that he almost got sick, and it said that he almost died. Uh, so whether, you know, it was what situations, how that happened, um, you could look into it a couple different ways. Um, and then you'll see uh, in this passage people who are called the Judaizers, as we're going to read here in a second, and Paul's kind of going against them because they came and were trying to tell them that this is what it needs to be a Christian. You need to follow the law and that you need to be circumcised. And so let's look into it. Philippians 3, we're going to look at verses 1 through 14. 
It says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever I gain, I had counted all as lost for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but, the, but that which comes through the faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrections and may share his suffering, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the, right, the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And so uh, here specifically, I want us to kind of see the full context of it. We're going to be looking into verses 13 through 14. And in verse 13, Paul starts off by saying, you know, he is not perfect. And so Paul's an apostle. If he's not perfect, then most likely we're not perfect either. In fact, we're definitely not perfect. Um, so, you know, you see that by him saying, brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own. By him saying that, he's actually referring back to verse 12, where he actually says, not that I've already obtained this, or I'm already perfect. He knows that he's not perfect. So we, means, we must understand that we will not be perfect until we go to glory, until we go to heaven. And so I was uh, actually talking to Corey Fair the other day, uh, a missionary for Word of Life. Uh, most of you may know him. And we were just talking. He was asking me what I was going to be preaching on tomorrow. And I, I just kind of referred to him, you know, Paul talking about how he's not going to be perfect. And uh, I found this to be interesting. He says, you know, yeah, we're not going to be perfect. And if we were going to be, be, yeah, if we were going to be perfect, then why would we get a glorified body here or up in heaven? It doesn't make sense. And so to really think that we can achieve perfection, it can mess us up really in how we view ourselves, whether it be through pride and thinking, you know, we've achieved this perfection, doubt, and whether, you know, I don't think I can, I don't, I'm not perfect. I don't know if I can reach this or frustration to the point where, you know, I know I'm not going to be perfect, but people say I, I should be perfect. You know, maybe some denominations do say that. We'll look into that further and I can't reach this. And so, uh, like I said, certain denominations teach that you can become perfect. And, uh, some, uh, the doctrinal name for it is entire sanctification. And, uh, Famous people like John and Charles Wesley, who started the Wesleyan movement, uh, C.G. Finney, who was one of the greatest evangelists and revivalists of our day, he, they actually taught and believed in entire sanctification. And so people may ask, you know, why? Why do they teach that? Or why do they believe that? Well, they would take out passages that say, you know, love perfectly, have a pure heart, to be free from sin. But yet you look into Scripture, and I, I find that funny, because most, most of what, when they say... Uh, love perfectly, pure heart, free from sin. That's Paul actually saying that himself. But you look into many saints, 
and they all had trouble with sin in their life at certain points in times. Uh, you look at Noah. I mean, he got drunk after the whole ark incident. Uh, Moses, <laughs> Moses, uh, he, he actually killed a man. Uh, Abraham, he lied about who his wife was, saying that it was his sister. David, he had multiple wives. Peter denied Christ. And Paul, we're going to look into Paul out today. Paul in Romans seven fourteen through 25 is that really famous passage that says, you know, I'm battling with my sin that's within me. You know, and so uh, he even says, it is not I who sins, but uh, sin that dwells within me, the flesh. And so, you know, many people may debate, you know, whether this was, you know, what stage of life that he was in. Was it before he was saved or was it after he was saved? Uh, really, you know, for him to say it's not him that does it, but sin that dwells in him, it would help us come to the conclusion that it's post-conversion. And many people like John Piper and other people like that would take the stance that it is post-conversion. And so we may ask, why won't we be perfect? Like, I, I know myself as I, I wish that I would not battle with sin anymore in my life. It's just so frustrating. I'm sure we've all come to that, that stance, that position. We just want to get rid of it. And really the answer just lies with our skin, our flesh, what we live with. That's why we still struggle today with sin in our life because we are going to live with this flesh. And that's why when we receive a glorified body, we won't have trouble with sin anymore. We'll be like him. And so uh, if we carry the notion that we will be perfect in this life to come, really we're going to set ourselves up for disaster and disappointment. You know, I find it interesting. How, do, how does someone come to the conclusion that they finally have reached perfection? Do they just wake up one day and just like, perfect like <laughs> i i just i think it's like kind of one of those humility things when you think you've achieved humility really you've lost it so um but uh as we can see paul says in verse 13 one thing that he does really it's two steps but one forward motion he says he is focused and determination in leaving the past behind and that's so key for and he says forgetting what lies behind for paul to say that Really, when you look into his life, as we'll see here in just a second, that gives me so much encouragement, and it amazes me that Paul, the apostle, could say that. Paul, as we can look back into his life, give you a little history of, of what he's done. Uh, first of all, he was a Hebrew. He was a Pharisee for a while. Uh, he was so zealous uh, of being a Pharisee that he uh, actually went on to killing Christians in the early church, as probably most of us know thinking that he was doing God a favor. He was actually there when Stephen was stoned in Acts 7, I believe it was. He was holding the robes of men, uh, giving his approval of what was happening. Uh, so he had such a past that even Paul himself, he said in 1 Timothy 1.15 that he is the chief of sinners. He's one of the worst. And so Paul shows his humil humility, his humbleness, by knowing how terrible of a sinner he was and by how perfect God is. And uh, after he killed those who were part of God's church after killing Stephen and probably killing many more, we don't know the number for certain, uh, he actually went on the road to Damascus in Acts 9. And as we see in that passage, God comes to him, Jesus does, and strikes him down. And then that's where his moment of conversion was. And he was a completely changed man, as we see. Um, and the apostles, they didn't even want him. In fact, they, they knew when you know, his past, and when he finally came to know Christ, 
They said, we know what you've done. We know you killed Stephen. We don't want you here. They had to take Barnabas, one of the encouraging disciples, to finally come and say, look at his life. We need to take him in. And he had such a wonderful ministry, Paul did. Of course, he was one of the most influential early church people uh, writing 13 epistles, maybe 14, possibly, whether he wrote Hebrews or not is uncertain. Um, But he was able to do that only by the grace of God, putting everything behind him. And the truth is, honestly, I know this is so true for myself. We tend to take our past and hold on to it and to not let it go and to look at what we've done, the good or, or the bad that we've had in our past and to hold on to that. We can even do that with our, with our, our good stuff. You know, we've had so many accomplishments and it can build ourselves up. So either we take our past and we hold on to it, we don't let it go, and we rid ourselves with guilt, or we take all the good that we've done and then we build ourselves up to make us look good. Um, but Paul, really, he, though he did a lot of bad stuff, I mean, he killed Christians, they became one of them, he did many great things. You look at verses 4 through 7, it says, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. For whatever gain I had, I counted it as loss for the sake of Christ. All that he was saying there, these Judaizers came, and of course they're probably boasting about what they've done. Of course they're focusing so much on the law, which the law points to our sin, really is what it does. Yet Paul, he was probably better than all of them when it came to all of his accomplishments. It's said today that if you were to actually take all of his accomplishments and what he was today, he would have a, mi- a modern-day doctorate today in the law. So he knew the law. He was very good at following the law. You know, when really thinking about our past and stuff, I, I, when I was studying this, I came or remembered one time when I was a snow camp counselor up at Word of Life Bible Institute, uh, we had snow camp for eight weeks. The kids would come on the weekends, and they would have a great time. And so I was a counselor one week, my second year, and kids came from Binghamton. And I met this kid. I'm going to just say his name's Jake. And so Jake came, and, uh, you know, we want to see where they're at spiritually. So I talked to him a little bit. He seemed like he was a believer. I was like, okay, good. Uh, you know, maybe, though, we want to see if we can push him on towards Christ a little bit more. And... Uh, as I came to find out, actually the last day, about a couple of hours before he was leaving, that he really thought that it was faith plus works, which of course is contrary to the gospel. And so as I was talking to him, I was pointing out all these people who, you know, saints of the church, who what they've done, but yet, you know, it means nothing. I said, look at Paul. Look at Paul. He was killer of the early church uh, and all these stuff that he did. And he goes, wait, Paul killed people? Yeah, Paul killed people. And he goes, no, he can't be saved then. There's no way he can be saved. That's too bad. You can't do that. Really, that's contrary to the Bible. That's contrary to the gospel. And unfortunately, he walked away. Uh, Doesn't seem like he has a relationship with the Lord or uh, true understanding of the gospel. But that's so natural for humans to hold on to the past, to be focused on what we can do. And that's... Uh, amazingly, that's contrary to, to grace. It's not about what we can do, but it's what Jesus did. And so um, we need to take 
our sin, when we have sinned, of course, and confess it to God, and confess it to those who have who we've done wrong to. First John one nine, as we know, it's a very famous passage. If we confess our sins, He'll um, forgive. There you go. You're good. Um, <laughs> so, really, if we've done that, if we've confessed our sin to God, and if we've confessed our sin to whoever we've sinned against, what else can we do? Really, when we've come to it and we've done all that we can do, but yet so often we hold on to our past and our sin. And when that happens, that's not us. That's not Jesus. That's Satan that's trying to hold us back. And he's, of course, doing a very good job with that in many people's lives, maybe even in your life, and just taking the sin and holding that back from pressing on towards Christ. And so, as Scripture says, after his famous passage, uh, Romans seven fourteen through 25 where Paul says you know, he battles with the flesh uh, he goes on to say Romans 8 1 therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus such an awesome passage so what does Paul say then after he's put the past behind there's only one way to go he says to strain forward he says well one thing I do forgetting what lies behind straining forward to what lies ahead really you look at all the different religions, and I was thinking about this this morning when I was driving up here. Biblical Christianity is the only faith that can free us from our past. All other religions are about what you can do, what you've done in the past, what you can do now. But really, it means absolutely nothing. Christ can forgive us of our past. And so, he doesn't just strain forward to anything or anyone. He doesn't strain forward to any wealth job, promotion, relationship, or any other earthly prize or possession. But he presses on towards the prize of God in Christ Jesus. For Paul, Jesus is what he strained for. Jesus is his prize. And so Paul, he uses the illustration a lot of a runner. Uh, you see that he talk about uh, the military as a soldier, a uh, farmer, and he'll talk a lot about being a runner and finishing the race well. And so, when a runner is in a race, uh, they're focused on the end. I was looking at Sports Illustrated yesterday, and uh, it was, I think it was an older one, when the Olympics were, uh, were being held in London. And you can all see that they're focused on what's ahead. They're not like, oh, cool, okay. <laughs> they are focused on the end goal. And so, you know, they want the prize. As we see in 1 Corinthians 9, 24-27. You can go ahead and go there. I'll just going to read it really quickly. It says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself shall be disqualified. And so, you know, it said, actually, that a runner, when they're in a race, so they take off and they start running, if they were to actually look back and see where everyone else is, that they could actually lose three to four paces in their run. And, of course, in a lot of races, it's really tight. If you do that, you could lose the race. And so, uh, but what do we need to focus on? What do those who run the race focus on the end we need to focus on jesus who is our prize so that's why i ask us right now what is our goal what is our aim 
What is our prize? What do we look at the finish line and what do we see? Is it Jesus? Is it something that's just going to fade away? An imperishable wreath? Or is it Jesus Christ himself? Do we look behind us? Do we look at our past only to weigh us down? Or do we look at him? And if we do, of course, like I said, we're not perfect. We are going to fail. Maybe we will look back. Maybe we will fall down. But that means that we just get back up and we just finish the race well. And so um, I could really go on about it, but really there's this video I want to show. I think it just explains it so well. Uh, It's uh, Her name's Heather Dornadin, and you're going to see her uh, in the race. It's a 600 meter. I think it's a 2009 NCAA D1 National Championship. Uh, And really it's an amazing, amazing video. Uh, Are we ready for that? Yep. All right, so go ahead. We'll see it, and I'll come back. video and really of course it illustrates so much this passage you know we are going to fail we're going to fall and we may even look back but you know what we just put that behind us and we strain forward to the prize which is jesus christ and really it looks like after that you know she has no hope after she fell down looks like she lost but then she just gets back up and finishes and she wins what an amazing feat and so 
you know, we can all be a testimony to this passage, really, when it comes to it. I, I really feel that I am a testimony to this passage. I mean, I don't have a huge weight of sin, or maybe even, I've never killed anyone before. Um, I, there's probably people who could testify so much more. We could probably go around this room and tell how, you know, we had this in our past, but yet we put it behind us. Really, I mean, I think about it. I grew up here. I went to youth group here. And I think if I was to ask some people, if you would really see me up here, couple of years from youth group would do you think you would probably we would say most likely no uh, <laughs> I, I honestly i would sit here and i would hear pastor prince and i would think i'd never want to be a pastor but really i mean it's amazing how god just took me and just changed me and the you know whereas we sing god you never change you stay the same which is so true hebrews thirteen five says jesus christ is the same yesterday today and forever god never changes but it's amazing how he changes us and how he's in the business of doing that. He wants to change us. He wants to take our past, to put it behind us, and to make us more like him. And so, it really, it look all over scripture. He's taken our past, our sin. Psalm 103, he says, from the east is from the west. So has he taken our sin and removed it from us. All the past, present, and future sin. And really, we, we may even... You know, some of you may walk away and may not take this passage to heart, but yet still focus on what you've done. But yet, we'll come to the end of our life and we'll go before Jesus and he's going to ask us, what did you do with me? What did you do with Jesus? That's the thing. What are we doing with Jesus? And so, in Isaiah 64, 6, all our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. You can look further into that passage and find out what it really means. Absolutely nothing. And if Paul can put it behind him, and we and he can strain forward to what lies ahead, then we can as well. And so, I ask and I pray that you guys would put all the past behind you, all the good, all the bad, and press on to be more like Christ.